I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Imagine a lifelong fascination with sports and wanting a career not as a player, but as an executive. But there are a few hurdles along your way. First of all, you're a woman. Secondly, you're black. And then there's the question of being gay. Well, today we'll hear how Raven Jemison overcame it all to become a top executive with the NBA team, the Bucks, And Raven, there's so much I want to talk to you about because you grew up in Tuscaloosa. That's correct. And yeah. what was life like for you? I mean, were you involved in sports? Did you like to play? A lot of sports. So I am one on my mother's side. So I'm one of 14 grandchildren. Whoa. There's four girls. So there's a lot of boys in my family, which means that if you wanted to do things with other kids, you were playing with the boys. And I was tomboy through and through. The whole riding the bikes outside until the streetlights came on, playing basketball, which, you know, we talk about a little bit in the book. I didn't have a choice but to love being in Tuscaloosa and falling into sports. If you look at me now, I'm a little bit older, but when I was younger, my body was pretty muscular. It was weird growing up to have like muscles and you didn't know where they came from. Then I look at my grandfather and it makes sense. But gymnastics was the first foray, then track than basketball. So I've been an athlete my entire life, and I still try to pretend like I am right now. It's kind of interesting, because before you came in and we were adjusting chairs, I said, you're kind of short, I am short. Raven. Mm-hmm. And I get the gymnastics, because mm-hmm. you have to be kind of tiny to do that. Agree. But basketball? Basketball, it's about speed, and because of gymnastics, gymnastics gave me the thick legs, right? So jumping, even though I was short and am short, I had a 36-inch vertical leap. So oh. it was okay to be short because I had the speed and I could jump. So 36 while I w- yeah. inches? So while I was not dunking by any stretch, I was able to somehow make it work being this short. I'm still getting over the 36 inch yeah. vertical leap. That's, yeah. that's pretty impressive. I too was impressed. It just kind of made sense. The gymnastics definitely helped to build the power in my legs, which was great. So how long did you actually compete in sports? I started at four or five in gymnastics. And I did that until I was 12, 13. Then I left gymnastics and fell in love with basketball. My cousin was a basketball player. My uncle was one of the top high school basketball players. Um, and he's my father's twin brother. He's six four, and my dad was five seven, So he got the height and basketball was his thing. And between the two of them, my father and my uncle, I just kind of fell in love with basketball and they taught all of it to me. And when I realized you could be a part of a team, while gymnastics, you are part of a team, but it's very much an individual mental sport. Whereas basketball, I kind of just fell in love with being a part of the crew. And growing up, I wasn't the coolest kid. I think today you would call them squares. I was a square. But then when I was playing basketball, I felt like I was part of the cool crew. So I just kind of fell into sports and 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 the rest of it is history. There's got to be a time, though, where you said, I'm never going to make it into the pros. That's exactly right. That's and it was a quick. That was it was quick. And fortunately for me, so the WNBA came in 1996, and that's when I graduated from high school. And of course, basketball in college was not possible either. I had some small school offers and conversations, but I knew I wanted to go to Auburn University, and optometry school was on the horizon, and sports was kind of taking a backseat. Optometry school? Yes. Second person in my family to graduate from college at the time that I was going to to college, and 
all that I knew was return on investment. So when you go to college, it's best that you get a job after college. And I only kind of knew a few things, doctor, lawyer, teacher, engineer, nurse. So I said, okay, I'm pretty smart in math and science. So let's do a doctor. No clue what I was really thinking. I picked the doctor with the least exposure to blood and it was optometry. And I figured we've all gone to the eye doctor, right? You sit in the chair, they flip the little piece and say one or two, A or B. And it seemed pretty easy. I could do that for the next 60 years, have a practice, summer in the Hamptons or whatever it was. And I was like, okay, this is good. So I picked optometry. And when did you change your mind about optometry? So I went all the way through. Oh, you did? Not to optometry school, but did the prerequisites in Mm -hmm. college, applied to optometry school and got into Ohio State and deferred a year. This is when the sports came back into the picture. So why did that happen? So at Auburn, I had done some small internships and shadowing in the athletic department. And it was really cool because obviously we all see football players playing football on the field or you see basketball players playing on the court. But you also see people sitting in the stands and you're like, okay, how did this happen? And then what is that person doing on the court? And they're sitting behind the microphones. What are they doing? So I started to ask questions about what was happening around sport. And it piqued my interest. And one thing you'll learn about me is I'm very curious and I ask a lot of questions. People say I have the interviewer style, communication style, because I end up asking you more questions about you and you learn nothing about me, which is totally fine. So I just started asking a ton of questions. And while optometry school was the safe return on investment, I was like, I'm curious about this. So optometry school is happening in the foreground, but I asked my parents if it's okay if I defer a year to see if I can get a job in sports. I didn't know what that meant. How did they react to that? They were very supportive. Now, I think in the back of their mind, they may have said, there's no way this girl's going to get a job in sports. She doesn't know anybody. We don't even know what sports is. We don't even know what the business of sports is. So how is this going to happen? And I'm not saying they doubted me, but I think they just felt like I was going to eventually go to optometry school. So they were supportive as they have been my entire life. And so it was May before optometry school was supposed to happen in August. I go down to South Florida. I have a friend that's in graduate school in South Florida. And I go to meet her just to hang out for a weekend. And I open up the newspaper. So that tells you just how long ago this was. The newspaper has an ad for a career fair hosted by the Florida Panthers hockey team. So I go down to South Florida and I say, if this isn't a sign, I don't know what is. So I go to like Nordstrom Rack or like the craziest place you could go find the ill-fitting suit that I put myself in. I found some shoes that didn't even go with the suit. It was bad. But I was like, this is my chance. So you go to the career fair and you're in line with hundreds of people. Are most of them guys? Most of them are guys. And most of the people that you're talking to at the teams are guys. So and I'm thinking hockey. It was probably very white. Very white. And to be honest, the entire career fair was very white. And that was really no difference than anything else in my life. Gymnastics, Auburn University at the time was 4% non-white population. I was in AP classes in high school. So I've always kind of been the only one. So you just kind of roll with it. So I'm in the line and the, the day is winding down and I haven't had any really good conversations, but I'm in line to talk to the Florida Panthers. And I said, this is it. This is the shot. So I talked to the director of inside sales at the time and I just tell him, I don't know what I would really do for you other than work harder than everybody else. I'm very coachable. I played sports. You tell me what you need done and I'll do it 10 times better. And two weeks later, I was moving down to South Florida as an inside sales rep for the Florida Panthers. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. I said, never again will I be unprepared to answer this question. Raven Jemison talks about the question to which she didn't have an answer. 
You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Raven Jemison, the Vice President of Business Operations for the Milwaukee Bucks. How much were you making an hour? $7.25 an hour in South Florida. So probably top five most expensive cities in the country still today. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm going to have to sell, not only sell to keep my job, but I'm going to have to sell to eat. So I need to be really good at this. So you knew your worth. You knew your yeah. value. Sure. And sure. here you were, you were about to go to optometry school. That's right. And yet you took a job that was really not much more than minimum wage. It was exactly minimum wage at the time. I'm sure your parents were thrilled. Thrilled because they were like, oh, she got the job. But I am so blessed, Libby, when I tell you that my mom, if I said right now, I think I want to run for the president of the United States. And she's going to say, what do you need me to do? And I've just been blessed to have that support system. My dad, every once in a while, and unfortunately, he passed away in February of 2019. But he would ask every once in a while, even up until he passed away, when are you going back to school? Because I feel like he may have thought that's the safe route. I eventually told him, Dad, I'm OK. But I've just been blessed to have parents that just have said, whatever you want to do, the answer is yes. And you have to believe that it's yes. And then we will support you along the way. So how did the job with the Panthers progress for you? I'm yeah. assuming you didn't stay at 725 an I, hour. I did not stay at 725 an hour. And I have a keen eye for athletes. If you played a sport growing up or you played a sport in college, I feel like there's a certain level of competitiveness, time management and things that you just bring to the table that can't be taught. So this is where my athletic background came into play. I progressed because I bring that kind of competitiveness to my work. I also bring the fact that I am always going to have to work 10 times harder than everybody else. So with that, how am I pushing myself to learn the things I need to learn for the next step? So we talk about curiosity and we talk about always asking questions. So I was an inside sales rep for about eight, nine months. There was a role that was created that they said, I think Raven will be good for this because I had always asked questions and I was always at the forefront of, you know, putting myself out there. If we were having training, whether I was right or wrong, I would raise my hand and try to role play. Right. So I kind of not only did I stand out visually, I stood out with my approach to the sales role and I was pretty successful in sales. So I just kind of progressed from there. Why'd you leave the Panthers? I left the Panthers because there was an opportunity elsewhere to expand my skill set. And it was the Pittsburgh Pirates. So sports is very small. It's a very small world. All right. So you spent X amount of time with hockey. Mm-hmm. Now you're with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah. This is a whole other organization. This That's is great. baseball now. Yes. Were you able to take those same skills from hockey to baseball? Absolutely. I will say, and I get asked this question often, what's the difference? Because I've worked in all four sports leagues. What's the difference? There's no difference as far as the business side. The mission is the same. Sell tickets, sell sponsorships, market the heck out of your product and do it over and over and over and be the best leader you can be. The only difference is the seasonality. So we're go from 41 hockey games to 81 baseball games outside in Pittsburgh. There's really no difference with respect to the business side. But yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh was an amazing opportunity for me. It's where I came out and where I felt comfortable coming out. It is where I stretched myself beyond where I thought I could stretch with respect to leadership. I developed some of my strongest friendships there. It's kind of where I came into my own, to be honest. What were you doing for the Pirates? So with the Pirates, I oversaw the retention team. So think about your season tickets. You have someone that you deal with directly year over year to renew your season tickets. I manage that team. So if you have a season ticket base of, let's say, 10,000, my team renewed that season ticket base and 
tried to identify ways to drive incremental revenue. So if they had two seats, how can we get them to four seats? So I managed that team to start. And then I took over group sales. You want to bring out your group of 100 or 2000 or you want to have a corporate event at our ballpark. That's the team that did that. So I oversaw two departments there. What did you learn most when you were working for the Pirates? I learned that the only person that was in control of my career was me. And I go back to this conversation with my boss at the time. I remember sitting down in my first year and it was my review. And I sat down and I started just going in and advocating for my team and talking about how good my team was and everything that my team did well. And then he finally asked me a question that made me pause. And I said, never again will I be unprepared to answer this question. And he said, it's great that you can talk about your team, but what did you do this year? What do you need to learn? How can you become a better leader? And I had no answer. So I learned. How much did that bother you that you didn't have an answer to that question? You have no idea. I agonized. I literally got up from the chair. I don't even know if the review was over. I just said, never again will I feel this way. So I developed a process called look back to look forward. What did I do the last six months that said I contributed or added value to this organization, to myself? How did I grow personally? How did I grow professionally? And then I look forward to say, what do I need to learn to get to that next step in my career, to get promoted, to get more money? And I do that every six months. So I learned professionally at the Pirates that I need to be able to speak succinctly, clearly, and be able to speak to the value that I add to organizations. I just mentioned that I came out as well during my time at the Pirates. I learned that I can't be anyone else other than myself. I can pretend and there's this whole weight of trying to be someone else different than you are at work and showing up differently, which I still have to do because I'm a black woman and you know, there's things I can't do and I can't say and I can't be like when I'm in a professional environment. But one thing I'm not gonna do is be someone that I'm not deep down to the core. So I learned in that moment that I need to come to grips with who I am such that I can be a more productive employee and spend the time thinking about the value that I add to an organization and how I can be the most complete Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. He leans forward almost like he's anticipating something. And I tell him, and he's like, I know. Raven Jemison talks about how she was accidentally outed at work. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Raven Jemison, Vice President of Business Operations with the Milwaukee Bucks. You came up personally, but did you come out at work as well? I did. I did. I How came... did you do that? How did you come to work one day and announce that? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting that you asked that question because it wasn't by choice. So I had a terrible breakup, and I was still in the closet during this terrible breakup. And I threw myself into work and I had not necessarily I tried to come out to my mom before and it went disastrous. Like it was it was awful. It's nothing against her. I think we just all battled with how we were raised. She's a daughter of the Bible Belt. Her father's a preacher. We all grew up in the church. So I I get it. So I tried to come out to her, went back into the closet because it went so poorly, you know, personally as well. A few friends knew. And then I had this breakup. And I was broken. Like, I mean, it says it in in the title, breakup. And I remember talking to her during this breakup and she heard something in my voice that she had never heard before. I am not an emotional person. Like, I'm very pragmatic. I try to keep everything like black and white (laughs) as best as I can. And she just heard the pain in my voice. And I think we never really talked about it, but I think she knew then that this wasn't a phase. This wasn't something that I chose to be. This is who I am. And so put that on the shelf for a bit. I meet someone new and she's as perfect for me as perfect will be. Um, And she's now my wife. 
And I just wanted to tell everybody because I was this person that was so happy, but I couldn't share with anybody. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to tell a friend who I've gotten close to here in Pittsburgh. So we go to the bar and I didn't really know how I was going to say it, but I was just like, listen, I met somebody. I'm so happy. And I just wanted you to know that. And she kept saying, I can't wait to meet him. When are we going to meet him? And I could not stress how much pronouns jumped out at me. Like any other time somebody says him or her, I don't care. But it felt like she said him or his 8,000 times. And I finally was like, I look forward to having you meet her. She's going to be in town next week. Can't wait for you to meet her. And then she was just like, I can't wait to meet her either. And she just kind of rolled with it. Now, I said, please don't tell anybody. Give me a minute to just, this is my first coming out to someone outside of my closest, closest, you know, circle. I want to figure out how I can say this at work and move forward. A couple weeks later, one of my closest friends at work, her husband, actually, we shared an office wall. He comes into my office. I was like, I want to talk to you about something. And he leans forward, almost like he's anticipating something. And I'm like, okay, this is interesting. And I tell him, I'm like, I'm gay. And he's like, I know. And I will say there was a moment of relief, but there was also a moment of anger because it is no one's responsibility to out someone. And so I felt betrayed. I felt hurt. And when he said, yeah, she told me, my wife told me. And I was like, I explicitly said, do not tell him this. And I know that they have a relationship where they probably talk about everything, but I had no idea how this is going to impact my career. And as much as I'm feeling hurt, he gets up, he gives me a hug and he was like, whatever you need. I am here for you. I support you. I can't wait to meet April. And nothing's changed between me and you. And so as much as I was feeling hurt, I was feeling supported. So that's how I came out of work. So you had a close friend. I did. And he was fine with it. He was fine with it. His wife is one of your closest friends as well. Correct. You're in a male-dominated business. Indeed. How did that go? Because sometimes, I don't know, I think men more even than women feel mm-hmm. a little bit threatened when they hear somebody's gay. hundred percent. And... I will say I won the lottery with my team at the Pirates. As I mentioned, the Pirates were where I found my closest circle within sports. I'm still friends with several of them today. And once I told Justin, who was my friend, that I told Travis, who was another friend, and they were just like, okay. And then I told my boss. And to this day, and I think it helps that April is amazing because when I introduce her to people, She's just such this beam of light that they're like, oh, no wonder, like, she makes you look good, by the way. It is definitely something that I was super nervous about. And still to this day, like, I'm very cautious and I read the room before I just outwardly say my wife, because there's still a little bit of fear there. But for the most part, if people ask me questions, I'm not ducking them. And I just have to accept the fact that not everybody's going to be comfortable with it. But that's not my problem. That's theirs. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. And I'm like, hmm, it's a great question. I want to be you. Raven Jemison talks about her journey from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the San Francisco 49ers and how she ended up working for the Milwaukee Bucks. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Raven Jemison. She's the vice president of business operations with the Milwaukee Bucks. I have to go from hockey now baseball. Yeah. You ended up with an NFL team. Yes. How do you go from a major league baseball team mm-hmm. like the Pittsburgh Pirates mm-hmm. to the San Francisco 49ers? Yeah. The story is interesting because you talk about what did I learn at the Pirates? That's where I grew into my leadership. That's where I grew into me being the person I needed to be. 
But the San Francisco 49ers role, they were building a new stadium in Santa Clara. So if you know the iconic Candlestick Park, the era was coming to an end and they were building a new stadium and I had to be a part of it. I feel like if you're in sports, if you can be a part of a new stadium build, while it does take years off your life, you learn so much through the process. You get to network with people that aren't necessarily in your sphere from a day-to-day perspective. But I saw this opportunity to oversee their premium efforts. So the suites, clubs, hospitality, as well as develop their new service program. And I jumped at it. I took somewhat of a lateral move. I even took less money when you think about the cost of living with the Bay Area versus Pittsburgh. But it was something I felt like I needed to go through and have under my belt. So new stadium project was something that I just couldn't say no to. So I moved to San Francisco and I had an amazing time. I learned a ton about the business very quickly. Is it more demanding when you're working for an NFL team versus Major League Baseball? So this was a little bit different because I was going to a new stadium build. So the things that you have to do to get a stadium up and running is different than if you were working for an NFL team that had a stadium and you're just year over year trying to build a business. It was demanding because you have people who are leaving and there's an emotional attachment to Candlestick Park. There is the history of Candlestick Park. I am blessed to have worked for two pretty iconic franchises. The Pittsburgh Pirates are one of the most iconic franchises in baseball. And now you have the San Francisco 49ers going through this kind of transformation and coming into you know the modern era of a new stadium. So while it was demanding, it was also very much a skill set that you had to tap into to get people to really understand It's new, but it's still going to be the same. Like you'll still have the same emotion. You'll still be able to root for your favorite team. But yeah, it was demanding. It was stressful because not everybody's going to make the move, right? The cost to move from the 49ers in the Candlestick Park, an older building, to a new one, the costs are different. So the conversations are a little bit different. That's a whole different part of the country. Absolutely. 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 The Pirates were different in that 21 straight losing seasons the Pirates had. I was there from the 17th straight losing season to the 21st where we broke the streak. So you lost an entire generation of fans because the team was so bad on the field. But there was something special about being a part of turning it around, both on the business side and on the field. That was a different demand, too, because you're selling hope. Whereas in San Francisco, you're selling emotion, you're selling it's new, but it'll feel like it's familiar kind of sale. So they were different. But honestly, it's pretty cool to be a part of two iconic franchises like that. Well, and speaking of iconic franchises, yeah. somehow you ended up going now hockey to baseball mm-hmm. to football. And all of a sudden, the Milwaukee Bucks come along. Yeah. And that's how you ended up here. Mm-hmm. And now one more sports team yep. in a whole other realm. Tell yeah. us about how you ended up here. So... In between the 49ers and the Bucks, I was at the NBA League office. So at the league office, I was a part of their in-house consulting group. In the industry, we're called Teambo. And in this particular part of my career is where I would say my acumen skyrocketed, my confidence skyrocketed, everything just kind of clicked. So Teambo is essentially consulting across all areas of business operations for teams. So the NBA is home to NBA teams, WNBA teams. G League teams and NBA 2K League teams. So you're consulting across all of those teams and you learn business operations really quickly when you are consulting 
with a team president as much as when you're consulting with an intern or a manager. So it was my job to take my portfolio of teams and I started as a WNBA account manager and a G League account manager. So that's essentially the women's team and the developmental league teams. And you learn a lot because the challenges at that level are different than the challenges at the NBA level. But you learn a lot. So when I say my acumen skyrocketed, it's because I had to get in the trenches really quickly to be that trusted advisor, to be the strategic partner for those teams to say, I see how the business is running. Can I recommend that you do this in sponsorship? Can I recommend that you do this in ticketing? And so you really build a skill set pretty quickly to understand the business quickly. I learned quite a bit in that role. And then I was promoted to the NBA account management. So I had six NBA teams of which the Milwaukee Bucks were not one of them. But I consulted across those teams and then COVID happened. Everything stops. So travel stops. My world as I know it now needs to be transformed because now we're trying to figure out how do we keep our teams afloat during COVID when there's no fans in the building. We have the bubble in Orlando and we have to get ready for the following season potentially in our arenas. Keep in mind, we have no idea what this pandemic is. We have no idea what COVID is. And so While my life on the road stopped and the consulting as I knew it stopped, there was an opportunity to lead a project. Libby, when I tell you this project was so not sexy, it was like, what am I doing? But I raised my hand. Again, we talk about the things that I do to kind of stand out. I raised my hand to lead this project with another teammate. And it was developing arena protocols for the 2021 season such that our teams could get back into their buildings and play safely with fans in the building. So think about path of travel. Think about sanitizing the building. Think about when you had to socially distance and keep people six feet apart. All that fell under this project. And we had no experience in this. But I said, okay, we're going to get the appropriate stakeholders and we're going to run this project. And anytime you're trying to move any guidelines or do anything new in the league, you try to get an advocate and a team president advocate and somebody who will say from a team perspective, yes, that makes sense. Nope, that's stupid. We can't do that. Yes, I can easily sell that to other teams. And our team president captain was Peter Fagan of the Milwaukee Bucks. So we're in this project. I guess it's August now. And the project is coming to an end because the season's about to start. And Peter calls me one day after the project. He's like, I know we work together with this project, but what do you want to be when you grow up? (laughs) And anybody who knows Peter Fagan, that's right on brand. And I'm like, hmm, that's a great question. I want to be you. I am in this job and I started sports, started in sports because I want to be a boss and I want to lead. So you and he's like, huh, I'm looking for a number two, someone to lead the business day to day, potentially be the heir apparent when my time is done here. And we just started talking. And if you know Peter and then, you know, me, we're about as yin and yang as it comes. And we just clicked. And by December, I was signing my offer to come here to Milwaukee. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. By the end of the weekend, I'm like, okay, we might be onto something. Raven Jemison talks about her book, More Than Representation, the cheat codes to your own seat at the table. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guest today is Milwaukee Bucks Vice President of Business Operations, Raven Jemison. That had to be really a thrill for you because going back to when you were in Tuscaloosa, mm-hmm. you love basketball. That's right. And That's here right. you are with the Bucks. Yes. Just as they had that new stadium. That's right. That, as you said, you'd mm-hmm. been through that before. That's right. Well, they had had a streak where they weren't doing real well. Indeed. Kind of like the Pirates. Mm-hmm. So you're bringing this whole skill set here. Yeah. What did you see the first day you stepped into that office? 
keep in mind, I am on the business side. So I have nothing to do with basketball, player acquisition, trades, nothing like that. And that's good for me because I do feel like when you're on the business side of sports, team performance and how the team does on the court, on the pitch, on the field, whatever, that's the cherry on top. You know for sure, for the most part, unless you're in a pandemic, that basketball will be played and butts need to be in the seat, right? That's where it ends as it relates to my thoughts on how the team performs. Fortunately, we won a championship that year, which makes it easier. But the first thing I saw when I came here was that the team that was on the ground, meaning in marketing, in ticketing, in sponsorship, they were amazing. Like I was going to look really smart working with these people. And so, of course, it was winter, so I didn't get to see much of the city. But I did see that the foundation and the infrastructure with the Bucks, nothing was broken. And I've been with enough teams and I've consulted across enough teams to know when things are broken. And there's going to need to be a major overhaul of staff and all that stuff. None of that existed here. The team was ready to go. And I was just fortunate to be a part of it. And this comes to your book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. More than representation, the cheat codes to your own seat mm -hmm. at the table. Why did you decide to write it? I would say this book decided to be written by me versus me deciding to write it. And by that, I mean... I am not a writer. I'm a jock. I am someone who loves watching sports, and that's about the extent of it. I love leading. But me being a writer was never on the horizon for me. But I had a couple of conversations back to back that made me think, okay, there's something here. I didn't know what that something was. And the question that I got back to back was, how did you get here? I was like, what do you mean, how did I get here? The same generic answers I normally give. Work hard. Know the right people. Raise your hand for stuff that people don't want to do, right? I was very generic, and I had been very generic to that point. It was my mentee that asked me this question, and she asked, no, 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 no. What did you do? You've been at the Panthers. Who did you know at the Panthers? How did you? And she started asking very specific questions. And as we just talked about with my boss asking me how I contributed to the organization, I don't like not having answers. And so I was like, okay. There's something very specific she's asking here. I need to have better answers for what she's asking. And so I started to noodle a little bit, but then I put it on the shelf. Then my head of business strategy and analytics asked me the same question a week later. And I was like, okay, this is a sign. This is a sign that I need to be doing something different. And so that weekend, I journal. I journal and I've been journaling quite a bit since I started working professionally. And so I go back to my journals and I'm like, how did I get here? Like, I don't really know. Like, I just did it. And that's obviously not a good answer. So I started going through my journals and in some days it would be, oh, today was a great day. I met this person. I can't wait to do X, Y, and Z. Very generic. And some days there'd be like three and four pages of writing and it would be all the things I encountered that day, the conversations that hurt me or how I was feeling. And I'm like, I repressed all of that. I don't even remember that. And so in typical type A fashion, which I am, I started to kind of bucket what I was seeing with respect to some of the themes I was saying. And by the end of the weekend, I had like five buckets. And I'm like, huh, okay, we might be onto something. And so I put it on the shelf for a little bit. Whiteboard was still up, when, you know, in my office. And, and I was working out one day and I looked up at the whiteboard and I'm like, okay, there's something I need to do here. And I don't know exactly what. So I just started writing. And I was like, okay, if I were to tell somebody what I did in this bucket, what would I say? It was more advice I was giving. And I'm like, mm. That's not really, that's good. But what if I started telling my story? So memoir style, but in more of a lesson. So the book is not chronological. It's not, I was born in Tuscaloosa on this day, and now I work for the Bucks at the end. 
it is really broken out by what I learned and the stories in which I learned in that particular bucket, which are the cheat codes. Now they're the cheat codes. I just sat down every morning. You know, I work, I get up at 4, 4.30 to work out and I write from 5.30 to 7. And by two months later, I had pages. I had words. Didn't know it was a book. Didn't know it was a book. But I was like, okay, let's see. So I signed up for this program that's more of a hybrid publishing program. And I submitted the manuscript. And I was like, if it's something, it's something. Then I got greenlit for publishing. That's when you start working with an editor and you start refining your words. And before you know it, you got more than representation. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. If you had asked me that question five years ago, I need to be a president or CEO at this time. Raven Jemison talks about her future. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Raven Jemison from the Milwaukee Bucks. Raven. Yeah. We traveled with you from that 725 an hour job down in Florida with hockey, mm-hmm. then to the Pittsburgh Pirates, mm-hmm. then to the NFL, the NBA, and here you are with the Bucks. I'm going to ask you that same question Peter Fagan yeah. asked you. Where are you going to end up? I can't yeah. believe it's going to end right here. You are still a relatively young woman. Indeed. Where do you see yourself in 10 years, oh. 20 years, 25 years? Libby, you are asking a question that I've been asking myself the last Six months since I started writing this book, really. If you had asked me that question five years ago, in typical type A fashion, I need to be in control of everything. I need to be a president or CEO by this time. I need to have this under my belt. I need to do this. I need to be on a paid board here. And I've kind of removed all of that tunnel vision. I need to be here and change my thinking to be, I need to have this by this time in my career. And by that, I mean, I've widened the aperture to have it be more than professionally. So yeah, I still want to be Peter Fagan. I still want to have that president or CEO title, but that's not the end all anymore. It used to be, I'll be a CEO and I'll do that three or four times and then I'll retire and be on paid boards and it'll be great. Now it is, how can I make an impact with the opportunity and the platform I've been given, which is where the book comes in. I'll be an author in a few months. But the answer to your question is, I don't know. But is the end all outside of sports business? Are aspirations higher than that? It very well could be and likely will be. I got here faster than I thought. So I still have 20 years left to work, right? So if I had to bet, which I don't bet and I don't gamble, but yes, it will likely be outside of sports business. What does your wife, April, predict for you? She has asked me more often recently, when are you going to start doing things for yourself? When are you going to start to make as much money for others? It makes it make as much money for you as you do for others. When are you going to start to put the effort into whatever you're destined to do? When are you going to start to really focus on that? Because I do believe, and this is her talking to me, that your platform is much bigger than being the number two at the Bucks or being even a number one at name the team. You are more than this. And she always says to me, I'm just waiting for the time that you tell me you're ready to take that step. So to answer your question, she definitely sees more for me than the seat I'm currently sitting in or even Peter's seat, which is exciting because I'm going to need her support when we take that leap. Raven Jemison, whatever it is, it's definitely 
an upward trend for you. There's no doubt about it. Thank you, Libby. I really appreciate that. Thank you for being here. Thank you. We've been talking with Raven Jemison, and what an amazing young lady she is. She talked about her personal life. She talked about moving from the Pittsburgh Pirates to the San Francisco 49ers to ending up to being Vice President of Business Operations for the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, if you joined us late and you want to hear our entire conversation with Raven, go to WTMJ.com. And by the way, you can also find a partial transcript courtesy of eCourt Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.